welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. Today we have the OG3 here and a guest. Our guest today is Eric Chop. He is the veterinarian and supervisor of the meat inspection program with the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. Today we're talking about drug residues and how to avoid them, some of the outreach programs that, that MDA has going on. Eric's going to walk us through that. Before we get to that, though, Emily's going to get us through the two questions that we ask every guest. Yes. And before I get to that, I just want to say welcome to Eric. People may not know this, but I've known Eric for several years uh, back in my days in Stearns, Benton and Morrison counties. Uh, our paths crossed and I remember doing 4-H livestock ID check-in uh, with Eric at many a Stearns County Fair. So nothing, you know, nothing unites people quite like that experience. <laughs> so welcome, Eric. We're glad you're here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And so two secret questions to get started. Based on the artwork in the background of your video, I'm going to start with the other thing first. What is your favorite breed of dairy cattle? Favorite breed of dairy cattle? I would say probably the Holstein. Um, yeah, <laughs> good choice. <laughs> what I've been exposed to the most. And that's the first thing that comes to my mind when you think of a dairy cow, it's black and white. Mm, classic, timeless. <laughs> wrong. It is absolutely wrong. And that puts Holstein's out front. Holstein's at seven, Jersey's at six, Brown Swiss at four, Dutch Belted at two, Normandy at one, Montbelliard at one. Oh, yeah. Tweedledee and Tweedledum here. They're Jersey guys. So I was so happy you said Holstein. But that leads to the second question, which you probably have figured out what it is. What is your favorite beef breed? Well, as you mentioned, the artwork behind me, I raise uh, purebred Charlet. So that would be my favorite breed of beef. Well, that's a also new one. an a new excellent one. choice. Yeah, that puts uh, at least Herefords didn't get another vote. That's all I'm going to say. They were still in first, so it doesn't matter. That's true. Herefords at her. six. Herefords at six. Black Angus at four. Black Baldy at two. Brahmin at one. Stabilizer one. Gelvy one. Scottish Highlander one. Kianina one. And now Charlay one. I can't believe that's our first Charlay. That kind of blows my mind. Well, there's not as many in Minnesota as what some of yeah. the other breeds are. There are some. I, I don't know. In central Minnesota, a lot of people have there are. them. So I was used to that. All good right. Choice. Well, good. So yes, in Bradley's world, Eric, the two correct answers are Jersey and Hereford. And you said neither of them. So good job. <laughs> so you actually were right. Great. Yes. Apparently the, the only correct answer is just whatever makes Bradley and Joe disappointed. <laughs> okay. Let's get into this for real. Uh, yes. Eric, give us just a brief background about yourself. Who are you? Um, tell us for sure where you went to school. Cause that's very important. Uh, and we like that answer as well. All right. So I, I did my undergrad and vet school at the university of Minnesota graduated several years ago from vet school. We won't say exactly how long, but uh, I went right into private practice from, from vet school in Stearns County, Central Minnesota. So I was in a Cold Spring vet clinic for just about 12 years doing primarily dairy practice uh, until the, the job became open at the, at the state level looking for a veterinarian and actually Nikki Neeser, my overall boss, who's the director of the division, is a classmate of mine from vet school. So when the position came open, she reached out saying, hey, wonder if you know anybody who might be interested. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, getting out of 
on call and weekends and holidays and wear and tear in the body, maybe not a bad, bad thing. So after, like I said, after about just about 12 years in practice, I moved over to Department of Ag and I've been here now um, going on 10 years already. My primary job with the, with the state is I supervise meat inspectors at the smaller facilities across the state. So I'm in charge of basically the inspectors for the northern half of the state. So I oversee them on a day-to-day -day basis. I do their training. Um, I'm also in charge of doing humane handling audits at these facilities that are under inspection. I have to be in all of those facilities every 12 to 18 months. And then I, uh, another part of my day-to-day -day job is if an animal comes into a, an inspected facility that the inspector um, has questions about or they feel needs to be condemned because it's not fit for human consumption, uh, they get a hold of me and I, I'm the one who makes that final call. Anything that's condemned at an animal level has to be done by a veterinarian. So I do, I do that as well. And now since spring or this, uh, since COVID has hit, I've been very, very busy going around the state, looking at prospective new facilities, licensing new custom facilities, as well as some of our inspected facilities. So I, I wear many hats at the state. And then I also uh, participate on the drug residue team. There's three veterinarians, uh, me being one of them on that team. So we do the outreach education with any dairy and meat residues throughout the state as well. So that's another part of my job. And that's what we're here today talking about. The biggest thing to point out is that uh, I thought only people who worked for extension wore that many different hats. And it's good to see that <laughs> someone else has to do that as well. Uh, that's uh, our, that's, our brethren, Jack yes, of all trades, absolutely. master of none. Yes. Exactly. I'm glad that you, uh, you will, it, you're involved in a lot and that's a lot to deal with. I'm sure it hasn't gotten better with COVID, especially with, with trying to get the new facilities figured out. Just for the sake of time, we're going to have to focus just on one little small piece of your job, which is the drug residue program, because uh, I think we could talk for five, six episodes if we tried to jump into all of it. I think the, the big question for me is when we're talking about the drug residue prevention program, the first thing that comes to mind is that you guys get a bad rap. In my opinion, there's a lot of producers that just don't want to see you on their farm um, because they think it's always a bad thing. So walk me through how you guys handle that, how you're trying to change maybe uh, that rap that you've got. To start off, I would say most of our the residues that we go out on are milk residues. Um, and I can understand us being kind of getting a bad rap because we're there because something bad happened on the farm, you know, something they had a residue for whatever reason. Um, but our main goal out there as veterinarians on that farm is to just kind of take a, another bird's eye look at their facility, how they handle drugs and record keeping and those types of things. And then maybe try to give them some ideas or of things they can improve on. Uh, we're not out there in a regulatory fashion by any means. We're out there for education, outreach, um, answer questions. So we, we also are out there with the, with the dairy inspector on those visits and we try to have the field rep along with us as well. We bring along a lot of information as far as informational packets, uh, record keeping booklets. So if there's anything that we feel um, could be used or helpful for those producers, we, that's what we're there to do is share that information with them and help educate them 
because our main goal is to prevent any more of these residues from happening. So uh, we do get out on a few meat residue cases as well. Those are a little different because they don't necessarily have anybody else with us. And some of those we do because of a residue that's occurred, or we also do offer just a site visit to go over ideas um, and things that farms are doing and so they can get our perspective on how they can do things better or more preventative. It's kind of three different types of uh, visits that we do. I really like what you said about, you know, kind of all of them, but it seems like really on the dairy side, how you seem to really focus on taking a team approach in bringing in other individuals, the field rep, et cetera. I think that that's a really great way to handle it. And I'm guessing would probably take some of that tension away as well by bringing in a, you know, a group of people to kind of help and, and look at it from different perspectives. And we have to be a little careful there as well, because we don't want to bring too many people onto a farm because just right. sheer numbers can make people uncomfortable. So we try to try to gauge that by the producers well of what their comfort level maybe is as far as how many people and, and who is all there. So we take direction from the not only the field inspector, but also the the field rep from the creameries as well of, you know, how many people could be there, what things that we need to touch on or don't need to touch on. And it's probably already uncomfortable enough to know that some that some sort of residue um, challenge happened and, and people have to come out to the farm. So I, I'm sure it's already stressed enough before they you, you even get there. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Probably the most stressful day is when they get the call from the creamery that that they had a residue and then they're trying to figure out, OK, what happened? What we do? You know, that's probably the most stressful. And then we. When we come out, we try to get there within a month of that residue occurring, uh, kind of bring some of those bad feelings back. So we understand that and we try to work through that and and try to educate as much as we can and, and answer questions. But yet we don't want to take the place of their local veterinarian. So, you know, there's the local veterinarian is still the their go to person. So we maybe try to stimulate conversation that could happen between that producer and the veterinarian as well to to help things out. So when we're talking on the dairy side, is the biggest offender still penicillin or, or what drug are we looking at most often when we're looking at these hot tanks? Uh, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I would say penicillin is, is one of the top two or three uh, mastitis tubes of the variety of types is probably the biggest thing. Milking either a dry cow into the tank or accidentally milking a treated cow from mastitis reasons. So if that's a penicillin treatment or today, tomorrow tubes, you know, take your pick is probably the most common. And on the meat side, are we looking at kind of the same thing? Is it mostly penicillin again, or, or what's our biggest offender on that end? On the meat side, uh, usually it's penicillin and then the Ceftier for families. And the way we check for those residues, we can't differentiate if it's XNL, NXL, Spectrumass, they all fall under the same group since we're finding a secondary metabolite in the meat. So we can't differentiate which product it was, but so the ceftiofers and penicillins are the top of the list. So when you do go out on farm and I'm, I have my own thoughts on this, I think I know probably what the answer is for, for most, most farms is what seems to be the reason that that the residue happened in the first place. Like what, where's the bottleneck on the farm most of the time that you see and, and think needs to be improved? 
most of the time it's sheer human error. Uh, you know, not paying attention to the cows that are milked or not recording a treatment. Cow gets put into the wrong pen. You know, a lot of those things just come down to basic human error of, you know, the day-to-day -day things going on on a farm since there are a lot of things going on. We do maybe see a little bit of a bump during harvest times or planting times when those producers have a thousand things going through their head at the same time instead of a hundred at that time. So, you know, the busier the farm is, the more often that happens. There's not very many where it's the milking um, equipment or anything like that. There's not that many failures of equipment. It's usually um, some type of a human error. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when, when I've been involved in these kind of things in the past, most of it comes down to communication and record keeping. And I think record keeping being a huge piece of it. it it's, it's so, like you said, when there's so many things going on and you have to write something down and um, you, you know, you're treating a cow and you're like, well, I'm never going to get rid of this cow. And then seven days later, you don't remember that you gave her exceed or, or whatever else that, that had a 13, 14 day withdrawal on it. Uh, at, that's a, that's an issue. And so I like having built-in fail-safes, double-checking, everything, having having two ways to, to be recorded or or communicated. I think that's great. I, I really don't like single leg bands. If you're using leg bands, just put put one on each leg. It's so much easier. All that kind of stuff. I think that's the, that's the way to go. But communication being a big piece of it, record keeping, no one wants to buy a whole tank. Uh, it's just not a, not a good deal. Um, and you know what that sounds like to me, Joe? What's that? management it sure does doesn't it <laughs> weird management. we got another piece of management records record keeping uh and communication which we talked about in our management episode yeah mm -hmm. uh that's right so i'm i'm really interested in in you said you're you're available for one-on-one -on -one visits uh preemptively right you're able yes. to come out beforehand and, and when there's not a residue issue uh how how available are you how you sound busy so how available are you really <laughs> Um, I don't do personally very many of those, but we do have, like I said, two other veterinarians on, on our staff. Um, Sandy Larson being the main one who does those site visits. Um, so she, her availability is, is a lot more than mine. So that's her main, main job with, with this project is doing those site visits. We have taken time and she spent time at some of the different auction facilities, handing out information, talking with producers as they're dropping off animals. And that's where uh, she has gotten most of the interest of um, doing those preemptive visits, like we talked about. But finding those people that are interested in in that is is not an easy thing to do. To find those people that are willing to have somebody come out and look through their facilities and and their records just to say, okay, well, how can I improve this? So if you have any ideas of how to find those producers, <laughs> we're we're all ears. Well, I think that I think it's a great idea, and I think that, that we don't take advantage of that enough uh, as an industry. You know, a lot of times, obviously, we're uh, we're back to management. You know, prevention better than treatment. You know, not not running around putting out fires, but making sure we don't start them in the first place. And I think that if that's available and there's someone that's willing to come out, I think producers really should take advantage of that. Especially, I mean, it's probably fairly simple things that, that aren't huge investments that, that could be done that would, would provide you that extra protection. And I think it's, it is a really good, good deal to do. Um, the next thing I want to talk about, Eric, is on-farm testing. How, how important is that? I see it becoming more and more available, more and more affordable. Is it something you think that, that producers should be doing? 
Uh, there's a couple different ways to look at that. Um, I always think of on-farm testing as as a secondary way of finding things. Uh, management being the first one to prevent it from happening. But you know, like we said, accidents always do happen. It's a lot easier to do that on on the dairy farm since you have the milk right there to test, and those those tests are quick, easily easy to read, reliable, and fairly inexpensive. Uh, so I think those are always a good idea. Those are some of the recommendations I almost always make is if you have any kind of a doubt, test the tank before, before it goes any further. The tests that are available for testing residues in meat are not as easy to come by. Uh, they're not maybe as reliable, but it's always a good idea to have those uh, in the back of your mind as something that, you know, as a tool that you can use. But like you said, management is our first tool and, and testing being uh, the secondary tool to see if management was working is how I usually look at it. Bradley, did you do any testing on, on your tank before, before it goes out the door? Yes, we do. Uh, we, we test every uh, conventional load that goes out um, before the milk truck driver can pick it up. Wh why might you ask? Because the, this, uh, we, ha we had a violation uh, way back when I started 10, 10 years ago, you know, somebody was, uh, oops, we, a treated cow got milked into the, into the tank and didn't realize it and it got shipped. And yeah, so we, we had to immediately implement a testing regime to uh, do that. And we haven't had any problems since, um, and I'm not going to stop the testing because we ha we haven't had a violation, but that does the minute I stop testing is the you know <laughs> that's when it'll happen. Yes. That's right. So um, yeah, we we do test every load that leaves. I, I think it's a good idea. The and, and I think even if you're not testing every load, to have it available if you do have that question in the back of your mind, it's it's definitely something you should have uh, in the toolbox. You know, having that violation, you know, one one violation is. Is bad. Obviously, obviously, you should avoid it as all at all costs. But like Eric was talking about, usually that first visit is very educational outreach. What could you do better? But now my question, Eric, is: Is what if we continue to have violations? Walk me down that process of okay, I've got one, I've had my my educational visit, got everything straight. Now, what does it look like from there? Okay, so that's one of the discussions that we always have if if there is a violation. Um, the regulatory, um, it's actually Minnesota law, and it's also in the PMO, I believe, that's saying that if, if you do have a violation, uh, you know, you have to go through the meeting. If you have a second violation within a 12-month time frame, it's basically the same thing, um, a meeting. You do also have to go through it's the dairy program with with your local veterinarian, um, the preventative program. So that's a requirement for any violation as well. If you happen to have a third violation within a 12 month time frame, then uh, the regulation states that we have to have a, a meeting with with the producer and people at in our St. Paul office. So it's usually a trip to have a meeting in St. Paul with uh, the producer, field reps, and then people from our department. And at that point, actually the law is, the way it's written is that you, we have the authority to take you off the market for 30 days. But we've never done that because that would be hard for any producer to survive not being able to ship 
their product for 30 days. Um, but we do have some other regulatory things that we can do. Um, it's usually not a, uh, it's, how should I say it? It's usually some type of corrective actions, accelerated inspections. It could be, like you said, testing every tank, making sure that those protocols are in place. Um, it could be going down to, if you're a grade A farm, going to grade B for a set amount of time. So there could be a financial burden to you as well. It all depends on what that situation is and how progressive you were at trying to fix the problems from, from the first violation. You know, if, if you didn't change anything and you're really reluctant to do anything, then we may be a little bit more stiff on, on what our decision comes down as. So like I said, so the first and second violations are basically visits. The third violation is when, when more things can happen. Yeah, that's not. So don't get that far with yeah, it. Yeah, please don't get that far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, getting to the point where you have the potential to not be in the market anymore is it's not good for anyone. Um, but that's why the, that's part of why this is so important. Obviously, the the other piece of it is the public health aspect and making sure um, there's reasons that we have these rules and it and it's because of public health that we're worried about some of these things. So, but but don't get don't get that far. Please don't get that far. It doesn't happen very often. I've only been in in the last. I think in five years, I've been involved with three of them across the entire state. So it, it happens, but it's not very often. Well, that's Luckily. good to hear. And I think that's a good testament to how, how good a job people do with, with their milk and their meat and, and knowing all these rules. And it's, uh, and I, I definitely understand how it can happen. Uh, it, it is a, it's a struggle to keep track of all of it, especially when you're communicating with employees uh, and how that all works and then training new personnel uh, it could it could go wrong in a blink of an eye, um, so it is actually amazing to me how how most farmers keep it straight ninety nine percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, other question that I've got is where can people go if they need more information? They don't, you know, farmers are busy, not sure they have time to do an individual meeting or anything like that. But but where are the resources available for farmers to learn more about this and 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 kind of do some of this work on their own? There is, we always say to work with your local veterinarian. So if they've got a particular veterinarian that they work with, always go to them first. But we do also have a website uh, on the Minnesota Department of Agriculture site. It's outreach and education of residue prevention. So if you Google Minnesota residue prevention, it will bring you to our site. And we have lots of different resources and links on that site that we are continually updating. We keep adding more resources and more links. And there will hopefully be some interactive trainings on on there or links to those interactive trainings in the near future as well. So there's a lot of information there. On that same vein, um, I'm wondering, Eric, do you do any outreach? Does your group do any outreach to the public, you know, to consumers about drug residues? I think we know that that's a really, you know, controversial topic, hot button issue with a lot of consumers of residues in their milk and meat. Um, so just curious, you know, from that food safety perspective, anything you guys are doing or or is that somebody else at the department that does that work? Um, at this point, we have not reached out to the actual consumers. We've been trying to do more with the producers. We are trying to work with um, 4-H at the state level and FFA as well. So we're trying to help with some curriculum with with FFA and some of the 4-H programs as well. So we're starting at that level and we have not gotten to consumers as such. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's a great idea. You know, 4-Hers and FFA members, they they are good at spreading the word on things. And I know they interact with the public a lot. So it's probably good to get them educated. I have a question. Go, Brad, go. You know, talk about farmers or, you know, we're talking about violations and helping with that. So is there, do you see a movement out in the dairy or beef world for farmers to actually reduce antibiotic use and, and not have issues with sort of violations? I think, you know, we all talk about don't get violations, but are farmers thinking about other ways, alternatives to antibiotics or just going away from them because of issues happening? I do see that on some farms, obviously reducing what they have on their farms to use as far as antibiotics. Uh, there is uh, you know, the organics, so there are other options for some treatments. It seems like if you have the larger the farms, it's usually the smaller amount of antibiotics and drugs they have on hand, and their protocols are a little bit better. So they're using things more on label the way they were prescribed to be used um, at the dosages that they were intended for. I would say a lot of the things that cause the violations that I see are people using things off-label. So they're not working with their veterinarians. They're using things off-label. As Joel asked about the penicillins, I see that being used off-label almost all of the time. Uh, so that's very, very common. But yes, I do see the movement where people are using less and less um, and being more involved with, with veterinarians, with protocols and and using things more appropriately than what they were in the past. Yeah, I think this is a great spot for selective dry cow therapy and things like that, where we have data to show that using less is just as effective and can save you money on this at the same time. So uh, I'm always up for that. You know, you might not be saving a bunch of work because you do have some some things you need to consider when you're doing the selective dry cow therapy, but you're saving money and you're avoiding some of these residue issues. And we're we're using uh, antibiotics more judiciously. So I think I'm all for that. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan personally, just throwing it out there. I think 95% of the things that you need antibiotics for on a dairy cow, you can solve with a safety if you're, uh, and for me, that means that you don't have a milk withhold on that animal. And I don't, I, I mean, that's just as safe as you can get. If there's no milk withhold, then, then you don't have to worry about it as often. So I, I'm a big fan of that. Now that comes with the the condition that you need to use it on label uh, and you need to work with your veterinarian to do that. And this is just so everyone's noticing, Emily, Brad, I have not plugged veterinarians yet. Eric has done all of that for me. And is, mm-hmm. I, I'm telling mm-hmm. you, you should have your local veterinarian involved. I think they you should. guys are in cahoots. Maybe, maybe. How much you charging? <laughs> going right today going right. Well, let's see. I was going to say, I was going to bring that up. What you really don't want is to get to that second offense where you have to sit down with your local dairy vet, your local veterinarian and go through that program with them. Because uh, first of all, they're busy too. They don't want to sit down, sit there and go through it with you because you had a second violation. They will, and they want to help you, but they don't want to do it. And uh, I would guess a bunch of them aren't going to do it for free. So don't get to that point. Well, you actually, know, Joe, girls got to eat. Girls got to eat. And that actually, yeah, that actually does start at the first violation. So don't have a violation at all. Just don't do it. Oh, just don't do yeah. it. Are you involved with organics at all, Eric, when, you, when you're talking about some of this stuff? Um, not very often. No. 
no. When I was in practice, I had a, uh, a couple dairies that were organic. So I was uh, exposed to it when I was in practice. But through this program, we have not had much exposure with the organic side of it. Are the organic co-ops, are they testing for antibiotic residues? Yes. Yes. It's still every, every load of milk, um, no matter what kind of a farm it's coming from, is tested for antibiotics. And then Bradley, are you testing your organic load before it leaves? We do not. Uh, we, we have thought about that, but we, we, we don't. Um, we don't use antibiotics in an organic herd. So should we test or shouldn't we? We, we don't because we don't use antibiotics. So I just wanted you to, to say antibiotics a bunch of times. That's all I wanted. <laughs> Thank there, was, you. there was one case at a, a dairy farm where they had silage that had some molds in it and they tested positive. So that is always possible. Oh, yeah. I saw that maybe two years ago. I feel like I, I, I saw that and it was, yeah, it was interesting trying to track that down and figure out where it came from and having some penicillium molds in the, in the silage can, can do that to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I've had over the years, I've had two different cases where they believed it was from the silage. One of them where they, we're just at the end of a bottom of a silo, getting it unloaded. And by the time they got the residue, they were done using that silo. silo. So it basically went away as soon as they were done feeding. So we couldn't prove it one way or the other, but that was their thought. And another one where they had to actually quit using the, the silo because of all the mold. The big thing is that if something like that's going to happen, there's going to be fluke cases like that. But what you need to remember as a producer is that if you have documents or you have records and you're keeping really good records and you can demonstrate that you have immaculate records of when you treat animals, what you use, all these things, and you don't have a history of either using penicillin or you don't have any animals that are on farm, it's uh, much more likely that someone like Eric's going to believe you when they come out to your farm, if you have immaculate records to show that you write, no, you write down everything, uh, you know, dose, route, of, route, why you're treating, all those things. If you write all of that down, first of all, it makes Eric's life easier. But it also, when these weird fluke things happen, it makes it more believable that it is a weird fluke thing. Yes, so and I was also going to mention that there are tests available on the milk side that it, um, if you do have a positive antibiotic, you can actually find out what the antibiotic is so that that technology is out there and it's it's not as expensive as what it used to be. I think it's somewhere in that $50 range to find out exactly what the antibiotic was. I just remember my question from earlier that I completely forgot. <gasps> Yay. So Eric, have you been involved in any, any of these movements to try to get more and more technology involved in this process when we're talking about RFID tags and electronic records and things like that? How, how, how do you see that helping this whole process? I could see that definitely helping through the whole process of making sure animals are properly ID'd. That's one of the main questions that we ask is, you know, how do you identify your animals? So it's still amazing that some dairies don't have a good system for that. Um, so the, the RFIDs and things I think could could definitely help us move in those directions. Uh, you know, we're seeing it in the in the robotic dairies where everything is is electronic and and done through the computers. Not to say that residues don't or can't happen in those situations because they do, um, but there's it's usually not due to you know, the electronics or anything like that. So. 
Um, we haven't, we, we talk about it at times when we're on these, on the farms about, you know, IDs and record keeping and that type of stuff, but we don't get into specific types or how to do it. I think it's still one of my favorite things I've ever seen is watching a loadout where they literally have a stoplight, green or red. And as every animal walks through the loadout and they're getting on that truck, it shows green, green, green. And and, it, and if there was someone who had been treated that still had a milk hold or uh, sorry, still had a meat hold, then it would turn red and that everything shuts down. You figure out what's going on. Uh, I, I think it's so simple, very good fail safe. And I think, I mean, we're headed towards electronic IDs anyway, in my opinion. So I, I think it it's another way to to help yourself and keep you from making that mistake, especially if you're, you're working in an environment where there's just a million pieces moving in all these different directions at some of these big operations. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me, uh, one of the reasons that we, this program exists, we're fun, funded basically through an FDA grant and that FDA grants um, sole purpose was based off of milk of uh, meat residues and I want to say it's about 80% of the meat residues that happen around the country are due to dairy animals. So they're saying, okay, they're happening in dairy animals. Let's try to be as proactive as we can and work with dairies in particular to try to, to mitigate these things from happening. But, but a high percentage of, of the meat residues are from dairy animals. So that's something that a lot of producers, like you said, don't necessarily take the time to, to check their records and look back of who they treated two, three, four, five weeks ago. And are they, are they safe to, to sell the market? Well, and that becomes even more important when you're talking about these extra labeled drugs that we were talking about before. When you're using something extra labeled, the tolerance becomes zero, right? There's no level that's allowed. So there's no cutoff. There's no nothing. If there's any there, it's a violation. So that's, again, where your local vet comes in. You have to be working with them to figure out, you know, what is the real withdrawal using the, the resources available, fair ed and every other thing that you can to figure out what the actual withdrawal should be on some of these extra label drugs. Um, big ones I think about all the time are, well, penicillin, we covered that already. Uh, meloxicam, definitely uh, something that you can't have in there at any, any level and the metabolism gets a little weird in fresh cows as well. Um, so, I mean, those two alone will cause a bunch of residues when we're, we're talking about these other things. Um, just work with your veterinarian on these extra label drugs uh, because there is no tolerance allowed for any of those things as soon as you're off label. And another thing that we usually talk about with these producers is how sensitive these tests are. You know, they're checking into the parts per billion, billion with a B, not an N, not million with an M. So it's tenfold more sensitive than that. So trying to wrap your head around what five parts per billion is in a milk is, is not easy to convince people or explain to people that it's maybe one drop of water in an Olympic sized swimming pool is enough to cause a residue. So that fresh cow that you put the milk around for 30 seconds and you thought you got all the milk out, it doesn't take much to, to cause a residue. All right. I think we've covered everything that we needed to today. Thank you, Eric, for being here. I, I really appreciate it. This is uh, this is something that I think people are intimidated by and and they shouldn't be. Uh, and it's really nice to, to have someone to talk to about it and to kind of reassure us that it's not something that you should be scared of. With that, we're going to wrap. You guys know the drill. The questions, comments, scathing rebuttals, they go to the Moose Room at umn.edu. 
That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. For more information about what you heard today, please visit mda.state.mn.us slash residue dash prevention. You can also get there, like Eric said, by just Googling Minnesota residue prevention. That'll pull up the, the site with the MDA and, and you'll, you'll get all the information you need on their outreach, educational activities, some of the regulatory things we were talking about, and then also antibiotic stewardship, all on the same page. Great resource. Catch us on Facebook at UMN Beef and at UMN Dairy and check out our website, extension.umn.edu. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next week. Okay, Bradley, say antibiotics. Antibiotics. You now say it so like hard. you normally do. <laughs> Antibiotics. 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 Throw it all together. <laughs> Antibiotics. 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 Mm-hmm.